Welcome to the Teaching Through the Eyes of Trauma podcast, where we engage and empower educators and other community leaders to view interactions with students through a trauma-informed and resilience-focused lens. This podcast will focus on providing tools and strategies that will prepare you to realize the widespread impact of trauma, to recognize signs and symptoms of trauma and toxic stress in students, to respond by fully integrating knowledge about trauma-informed and resilience-focused practices, and to seek to actively resist re-traumatization by healing first and educating always. Let's get into the conversation. Hello and welcome to Teaching Through the Eyes of Trauma with me, Dr. Smith. Today we're going to talk about stress, the animal inside me. Our essential question is, how does stress impact the body? This episode seeks to educate listeners on the impact that stress and trauma have on the body and how it responds when in a state of constant stress. As we talked about before, stress thoroughly impacts the body. It affects all systems of the body, including the musculoskeletal system, your respiratory system, your cardiovascular system, endocrine system, gastrointestinal system, your nervous system, and your reproductive systems. And we're not going to touch on all of those systems today, but we're going to touch on a couple of them. Our bodies, we're well equipped to handle stress in small doses. So that means like you're having trying to meet uh, meeting deadlines, possibly being stuck in traffic when you have somewhere to be, um, suddenly having to slam on your brakes to avoid an accident. Those things are stresses that are normal of doses or normal amounts of stress that the body is equipped to handle. But when stress becomes long-term or chronic, it can have serious effects on the body. And so as we talk about the different parts of the body, I just want you to check into these symptoms or these examples of stress that you may be feeling in your body or that your students complain about when dealing with things that they're going through when they complain about pain and just different things in their body, just to see how stress is actually impacting yourself and your students uh, during the day that's not necessarily being talked about or being recognized. And so stress on the musculoskeletal system, when the body is stressed, your muscles tense up. And so that muscle tension happens when you have a reflex reaction to stress. So it's your body's way of guarding against injury and pain. But too much of it causes chronic pain. So you're having headaches, migraines, muscle tension in your neck and in your back. And all of these things is because stress is housed in the body and it's affecting the musculoskeletal system. Stress also affects the respiratory system. And so when you're feeling stress and strong emotion, it can present in respiratory systems, almost mirroring asthma attacks or shortness of breath because of the rapid breathing that happens when, you're, when your respiratory system has had a lot of stress or high doses of stress. It causes the airway between your nose and your lungs to constrict. And so you're having a hard time breathing. And that shows up in panic attacks. It shows up when the body has had so much stress that someone thinks that they are actually having a serious asthma attack or shortness of breath. But it's all due to the amount of stress that's on the respiratory system. Stress also affects the cardiovascular system. And so when you're in a a moment where you're having high doses of stress or you've been 
you've been bombarded with something that's happened, some trauma or something that's happened to you, it increases your heart rate. And then those strong contractions of the heart muscle with all of the stress hormones that are being pumped into your blood vessels, it causes your heart to dilate. And then it, it causes to where the amount of blood that's being pumped into your parts of your body actually elevates your blood pressure. And that's when you go into that fight or flight response that we'll talk about later. And so having these long-term ongoing stressors can increase the risk of hypertension or heart attacks and also stroke. Stress in the gastrointestinal system is when you have those students who complain about, uh, my stomach hurts. And a lot of parents, I've talked to a lot of parents who say she keeps saying that her stomach hurts or he keeps saying that his stomach hurts. And I've taken him to the doctor. We can't seem to find anything wrong. Maybe he's hungry I don't know what it is, but he keeps complaining or she keeps complaining of stomach pains. Well, stress is associated with changes in the gut bacteria, which influences the mood, right? And it happens to make it to where students can feel or people can feel acid reflux because stress is causing things in in the esophagus to back up. And then it also causes pain and bloating in the stomach, nausea, or that feeling of I have butterflies in my stomach. All of these things are because there's a lot of stress on the body that's causing the gastrointestinal system to be impacted. And so a lot of times, especially during times of assessments, and so when we have the the district or the state tests coming up, we have a lot of students who complain about stomach uh, pains, and then we have a lot of students who, who begin to vomit. And it's because they're so stressed because they know that they have to meet this target, they have, they have to meet this goal, that their stomach or their gastrointestinal system becomes impacted by the amount of stress that's on their body, and then they continue to vomit. And so knowing these things allows us to be able to, first of all, call out what it is. These students are stressed. That's what they're under. They're under so much stress or high doses of amount of stress that is beginning to impact their musculoskeletal system, their gastrointestinal system is beginning to impact their body and how their bodies are functioning. Chronic stress also affects the nervous system. Um, When students or when you experience stressors over a prolonged period of time, it can result in long-term drain on the body. Your body is so drained because the autonomic nervous system is continuously being triggered, right? You're continuously having physical reactions and that causes wear and tear on the body. So it's not that just you're having stress, but it's that it's so much stress that the chronic stress is affecting the nervous system and it's continuously activating your nervous system and the bodily systems, which is becoming problematic. So it's causing problems. And so these are the only uh, systems that I want to address right now, just because it's the ones that show up the most in students um, who present to our classrooms. But all of these things can be identified or can be helped when you teach students how stress affects your body. And so in order to do that, I use the the animals inside me. And so when I say stress, the animal inside me, it can present as just the thing that is wreaking havoc on your body, but also it can present as a way to be a teachable moment for students to teach them about stress and their body. And so today I want to teach you about three animals. So think about your body as having three animals, a meerkat, a tiger, and an owl living inside of it. And so if you think about a meerkat, if you've never heard of a meerkat before, they're like cat-like animals that live in Africa. And these animals, they live in groups. 
Um, they always have one that's always watching out for the others. They take turns to be the watch guard. But this is the smoke signal of the body, right? They look out for predators, for like hawks and eagles. And when a meerkat sees, hears, smells, or even feels that something suspicious is going on, they let out a, a bark to alert the others. So they are the alarm system. And so when you think about stress in a student, think about a meerkat. Think about them as the watchdogs. The meerkat is the one that is sounding the alarm to let them know there is something that is in our space that is about to cause us stress. And so I'm going to sound the alarm to make sure that you know something stressful or something suspicious is about to happen. And then there's the tiger. And so tigers are also a part of the cat family, but they love to eat, they love to sleep, and they love to play. But they are excellent hunters, and they can be very ferocious. We all know they can be extremely aggressive and extremely ferocious when they feel threatened. And they're always ready to either run or to fight. And so when you think about stress in a student's body, think about the tiger as that thing that is putting them in fight or flight mode. So once the meerkat has sounded the alarm and said, you know what, there's stress present, there is something suspicious going on, I should be fearful at this moment, then that's what alarms the tiger to jump into action and to now become that aggressive and ferocious animal to become the either fighter or the fleer, the one who uh, who runs away from the stress that is, is impending. And then there's the owl. Now, owls are wise and are able to see things from a long distance. They're good problem solvers and great decision makers. And so this is the thing that allows students to be able to think critically, to be a problem solver, to be able to sit in class and, and able to absorb information and to learn, to become wise when they're in class. But now the owl is only present when there's no danger present. There's no suspicion present. The, the owl is only present when the body is in, a, is in a homeostasis state to where thinking can occur, to where problem solving can occur. But if the meerkat sounds the alarm and the, the tiger begins to be aggressive and is in fight or flight mode, then the owl flies away. And so at that very moment, there's no cognition going on. So when your students are stressed, when something has, has been done to them or has been said to them or they've been triggered and they're put back in a sense or in that state that they were in when they were first traumatized or where they experienced that stress, then the meerkat is going to sound the alarm. And when the meerkat sounds the alarm, you don't know what the tiger is going to do. You don't know if the tiger is going to flee. And so that's the runners that we have in the schools or if the tiger is going to fight. And that is those aggressive students that we have, which we call aggressive, but they're only aggressive because they're now in fight or flight stages. And then the owl has been alarmed also by the meerkat and sees the reaction of the tiger. So the owl flies away. And so in that moment, when you, your child or your student is in a fight or flight mode, when they're angry, they want to run or they want to be aggressive and you just sit and tell them, tell me what's wrong. What's going on? They have absolutely no language at that moment. They have no cognition at that moment. And so in that moment, they're not able to problem solve. Like we have a lot of teachers and a lot of parents who say, are you not thinking? You know better, do better. You have to think about these things. Well, they have no cognition at that moment because they've been so bombarded with stress 
that the owl has flown away and there's no cognition. There's no problem solving mechanisms going on. And all they're in the, the state that they're in is that I need to fight or I need to run to get out of this state that I'm in. And so real quick, let's review. A meerkat is the watchdog. The tiger is always ready to run or fight, but really loves to play. And the owl is the good decision maker. And so when you think about your body or your student's body having these three animals, the meerkat, the tiger, and the owl living inside of them, all present at the same time, you have to understand that if the meerkat is quiet and not sounding the alarm, then the tiger is able to play with friends. They're able to get a good night's sleep. They're able to eat when they're hungry. The owl is busy reading books. They're trying to learn new things. They're in the classroom. They're making good decisions and making plans and following the directions of the teacher. But then we have to remember, if the meerkat sounds the alarm, then the owl will immediately fly away and hide, right? Because he gets scared. And if the meerkat sounds the alarm, the tiger feels threatened and gets ready to run and fight. And this is an example that can help you to understand that when we're really worried or when we're really scared or angry, our students may want to run away or fight instead of pay attention in school or, or listen to a parent or be with friends and be friendly or learn to share. But all of these reasons are why they might have this, this hard time following these directions, this hard time sleeping or eating or remembering things that you've taught them the day before because they're in a constant state of stress. And so knowing this, you have to understand that even if if a student has been, if their alarm system has been triggered multiple times, then that alarm system becomes extra sensitive to threats. And so to the mind that's been regulated or to the person who has regulated emotions, something as small as a book falling off a desk doesn't necessarily scream a fearful situation. But to someone who has been exposed to high doses of trauma and to toxic stress, small amounts of stress can seem insurmountable to them. And so their alarm system may be easily triggered to something that seems to us, like it's not a situation to where their fight or flight system should kick in, but it's so sensitive because it's been activated so many times throughout the things that they've been through in life, through maybe where they're living or what they've been exposed to in their childhood, that we have to get them back to a state to realize that you have three animals living inside of you. And if you feel like you're in a sense, you have to check into your body. And if your body feels like your stomach has butterflies because you're feeling nervous, you're feeling like there's impending doom or something is about to happen, or you're feeling angry and your body is getting hot, or you're starting to sweat or your hands are shaking, you check into your body and say, you know what? I'm about to be activated. And I don't want my owl to fly away. And I don't want my tiger to become aggressive. And so what can I do to go ahead and help calm myself down? And you have to give them the tools and the strategies that they need to be able to check into their body and then calm themselves down so that they're not in a in a state of fight or flight or fawn for some reason. And that's a new one. The fawn is they become these people pleasers. So they're not in a state to where they feel like there's impending doom or somebody's going to hurt them or somebody's going to do something to them. 
And so when you teach them these tools and these strategies or even educate them on the three animals inside them, they're able to to deal with the stress that comes their way to where they don't have the high doses of stress that continuously affect their systems, that continuously affect their uh, musculoskeletal system, that affect their endocrine system and their nervous system because they have the tools and strategies to check into their body and to understand, you know what? I feel like I'm about to be activated. And so what can I do to calm myself down so that I don't have these reactions to the stress that I'm feeling, but I have the tools and strategies that I need to go ahead and calm myself down. Stress response hyperstimulation occurs when the body has experienced too frequent and or dramatic stress responses. And so when the body becomes overly stressed due to too frequent or overly dramatic stress responses, it can remain in this state of semi-stress. And these create individuals who grow up or who become these people who are constantly stuck in trauma responses. And so what it looks like is for people who are constantly stuck in the flight trauma response, these people become workaholics or overthinkers. They suffer from anxiety or panic disorder or OCD, so uh, obsessive compulsive disorders. They have difficulty sitting still. They become perfectionists. They avoid situations to where they think they may be triggered. They have hyperactivity or sadness. And then they are also suffer from loneliness because they don't want to be put in a situation to where they're activated or their trauma response is activated to where they're in their fight or flight system. Those people who are stuck in the trauma response of fight, those are the ones who have anger issues or they present with outbursts or they become those controlling individuals, people who are essentially seen as the bully, right? Because they're always in this mode to where they want to fight. These people are the ones that have the explosive behaviors because something in their life has signaled to them that if you feel stressed, your first response is to fight. These people are also irritable. So they suffer from irritability. They have judgment issues. So they don't make sound judgments. Um, they, you can see them slamming doors or in the classroom. You can see them throwing things or turning over chairs, turning over desks, or the ones that are doing things like self-harm. And this is because their bodies or their musculoskeletal systems have all of this tension and stress that they need to get it out by any means necessary. And so they do the thing that they feel is going to help them to release that, that tension and that's fight. These people who are who have a trauma response of freeze, they have difficulty making decisions because their owls fly away easily. So they have difficulty making decisions. They oftentimes feel stuck because it's like, I don't know what to do, so I'm not going to do anything because I don't want to, to be in a mode where I have to fight or I have to, to flee, so I'm just going to do nothing. I'm just going to stay stagnant. And, and and remain stuck. These people also suffer with disassociation because they don't want to be in that place that they're in. And so they, in their minds, they disassociate. They go somewhere else. They become isolating or, or stick, stay to themselves. They don't want to interact with others. They don't want to be social. 
um, they may feel numb at times or, or shut down and they shut down strictly because they've been overly activated with trauma or overly activated with high doses of stress to where they feel like they have nothing else to do, but just shut down and remain stagnant. They suffer from exhaustion because it's exhausting to, to try to make sure that you don't respond in a way to others that seems unreasonable, but to you, that's the only response that your body and your mind knows how to do because you've been bombarded so much with toxic stress and, and trauma. They're also indecisive because remember the owl flies away. And so they're not good at making good decisions. And so they're constantly questioning the, the decisions that they make to make sure that it's something that would be what other people would, would say would be a sound decision, not necessarily knowing whether or not it's sound for them or for the situation that they're in. And these people also sleep a lot because it's, I'd rather be asleep than to do something that would seem unreasonable when I'm, when I'm activated or when I'm in a heightened emotional state. And then the new one, fawn. So people who are, who are responding to trauma and toxic stress who are in a state of fawn are people pleasers. They're so overwhelmed by everything that they've done, but they don't want to seem like they're not being reasonable. And so they do whatever other people want them to do. They have no boundaries. And so it's, I'll do whatever is asked of me, even to my own hurt. Because if I don't, people will see the stress that I've been through. They'll see the trauma that I've been through, or I'll respond in a way to where my trauma will be exposed. They have lack of identity because they don't know who they are outside of the trauma and the stress that they've experienced. And I want you to know you as an adult, or I want you to make sure that your students know who've been exposed to trauma and who have been exposed to stress is that their stress and their trauma does not define them. That doesn't tell them who they are. Now it does tell them about the experiences that they've had, but that helps them to create the narrative of who they want to be in the future. And so it does not define them or it doesn't determine their identity. It just determines the road that they've traveled to get to the person that they want to be or to get to the person that they're going to be in the future. These people also are self-critiquing. They're always constantly judging themselves and critiquing everything that they do. And that's strictly, again, because they're trying to please people and not necessarily worried about themselves and the things that they need to do to make sure that they're able to respond to the stresses of life in a way that is, is seen as suitable, not only for them, but just suitable for society. And they'll be able to do that when they have a nurturing, buffering relationship with a trusted adult. And so with, with a parent or with teachers or administrators at schools, it's our jobs to step in and to inform them or to not even just inform them, but to educate them on, listen, this is what you've been through. Trauma is a fact, but so is resilience. And so just because you've experienced these things doesn't mean that you have to stay in a heightened state or in a, a stagnant state of being in fight, flight, flee, freeze, or fawn, but you can respond to your trauma and you can respond to, to your stresses in a way that is suitable for society. And how are you going to do that? By getting tools and strategies from your parents and from educators to help you to be able to check into your body 
and identify when those things are happening and then to respond in a way that helps to soothe the stress that you're feeling in your body or the tension that you're feeling in your body without making decisions that will be harmful later on. So you're able to to make sure that although your meerkat may sound the alarm, that your tiger is calmed, that you're able to make sure that your owl stays present so that you're able to learn, so that you're able to make good decisions to make sure that your your tiger is sitting there being able to be tamed and not ferocious or not aggressive, but just is sitting there ready to play and to be sociable with, with the people around them. And so with that, I'm going to leave you with the teaching through the eyes of trauma takeaways. Number one, check into your body or make sure that your students are checking into their body. So what sensations do they feel when they're feeling angry? What does their body feel like when they feel like they're about to be in fight mode or flight mode? And then make sure that they've identified those things. Number two, practice deep breathing strategies to open your airways. So making sure that students breathe in through their nose and then out through their mouths when they are in a heightened state of stress. This releases tension out of the body and goes ahead and and calms down the body to where they're able to breathe and they're not holding or or constricting their airways to cause high blood pressure and high heart rate. Number three, utilize a stress ball to release built up tension or allowing students to do jumping jacks or maybe run around the gym really quick if they're feeling in a heightened state of, of fight or flight. This allows the tension to to get out of their bodies, that they have tension in their hands and they're wanting to turn over desks or rip off things off the wall, giving them a stress ball to be able to release that tension in their body. Number four, take a rainbow walk to tap into the present. That means allowing them, you know what? You've told me how your body is feeling. You're about to be heightened or you're about to be dysregulated. Go ahead and take a rainbow walk. And so allowing them to walk down the hall or walk, somewhere really quick and find items on their walk that is represents every color of the rainbow. And this really just allows them to just to check into the present while giving them a strategy to go ahead and calm down without making them have to, to talk to you about what's going on, but allowing them to just reset themselves and regulate their emotions. And then lastly, heal first, educate always. And you are doing this by providing your students and your children with these tools that they can use, with these strategies that they can use so that the animal inside of their body doesn't impact their body to where they're causing harm on their body, where they're causing harm on their on their minds because of the stress or the animal that's inside of their body. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Teaching Through the Eyes of Trauma. I hope that it has been something that has been said or some tools or strategies that have been given to you that will help you along your journey of helping your students or your children to heal first and to be educated always. Please like, share, and subscribe to this episode. Also, if you are looking for trauma-informed practices or trauma-informed and resilience-focused training, please visit us at Inner Ear Agency. Dot com that is i n n e r e a r a g e n c y dot com thank you so much for listening 
We'll see you next week.